And I feel like if you walk by a street and you was walking on concrete and you saw roads growing out of concrete, even if it had messed up pedals and it was a little, you know, to the side, you would marvel at just seeing a rose grow through concrete. So why is it that when you see some ghetto kid grow out of all of the dirtiest circumstances and he can talk and he can sit across from you, make you smile, make you cry, make you laugh, all you can talk about is my dirty rose, my dirty stems, and how I'm leaning crooked to the side. You can't even see that I came up out of that shit. Welcome to Real Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Terrell McKinney, along with Willie Hamilton. Our goal is to bridge communication gaps, be transparent, and to put words into action. We are the voice for the voiceless. Join us every Tuesday night from 7 to 8 p.m. Also call in with any questions or comments at 402-915-1378. Good evening. Welcome to Real Talk Podcast Live with Willie and Terrell. Tonight we have a couple special guests. Steven Abraham and Larry Duffin. How you doing? How you doing? All right, all right. The monsters in the field. <laughs> Tonight we're going to talk about Martin Luther King Jr. and his dream. And the question is, is his dream, uh, how his dream became a nightmare? That's the question. Well, uh, has his dream become a nightmare? Well, for the most part, I believe that Martin Luther King played an instrumental role in uh, how we live today because he was fighting for civil rights. As you know, civil rights was instituted because of um, individuals being held down due to oppression um, in uh, the United States of America. And he was one of the uh, civil rights leaders to lead that fight to, um, to promote equality. Um, do I believe that it became a nightmare? No, I don't. I mean, we're, we're living proof right now. We're sitting here. We're able to conversate through social media and express our thoughts and our likes and dislikes about the current climate in our society. But for the most part, I believe that um, he would be somewhat proud about the progression uh, from 1965, I believe, um, to now. So uh, that's why I thought of that right there. All right. Uh, first of all, let me just uh, say it's good to be in the house tonight. Um, being on the uh, the uh, podcast here on uh, Monday nights, I've, I've come here a few times and I've always enjoyed it each and every time that I've come. So it's uh, it's a pleasure to be invited uh, to come. And today is really is a, a special time. 
special a special day, a special celebration. I think for, for all of us, uh, really for everybody across the nation, really, I think it's a, it would have to be considered a, a special recognition. Speaking directly to the topic, has his a dream become a nightmare? I think, you know, I don't really want to uh, straight up uh, 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 take a direct hit on that topic right now. I want to let us progress as we go down through the, through the day and kind of take that apart uh, bit by bit. I think a couple of things. One, I think uh, America has a, a tendency to want to put um, Martin Luther King and what he was about, what he stood for, all of that. I think uh, we have a tendency to want to put him in a box. And um, the box that we put him in romanticizes him, romanticizes what he was all about, and kind of, as uh, I hear my brother uh, Stephen say all the time, uh, somewhat simplifies what he was all about. So, and I don't think you can do that. I think if you, once you get into simplifying his message and what he stood for and what he was pursuing and what he was all about, then it becomes easier to uh, come up with, with statements like, did his dream become a nightmare? Well, you know, a couple of things. First of all, the dream wasn't really just about a speech. And uh, one speech does not uh, really paint the full picture of what this man stood for and what this man was all about and what this man uh, uh, perceived. His, his uh, dream, so to speak, uh, in that particular time on that particular concept was talking about one thing. And it was basically talking about uh, uh, a society where the barriers were down and people had an opportunity to accomplish whatever they wanted to accomplish based on their character. That's, that's, that's what he was speaking to in that particular speech. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. That's what he was talking about. So seeking to have equality, so to speak, where there are no laws preventing me from doing anything any other man can do in America. Uh, that was one aspect of what he talked about, what he was about, and what he pursued. But it doesn't really sum him up in the sense that, uh, you know, he was all about this particular dream. There's a whole lot more to him than that. And I would say, uh, for my part, this that Martin Luther King, in my opinion, had uh, the model for black progression, overcoming uh, excellence, uh, advocacy, activism. I would say, from my friend's perspective, I have not seen uh, or heard, read, dealt with, studied, researched any other model. Uh, better than the model that he brought forth for us as black people here in America. So I think that in regards to his model for activism, his model for progression, his model for social action, his model to address the ills in America today on behalf of downtrodden people, there are there is no better model. And no one has come along that's got a better model, a better philosophy. Uh, there ain't one uh, here today, and I think 
if we if we looked at it, then I think we would have to consider that. Is there a better model? Uh, was there something wrong with his model? What was his model lacking? Do you think that we as a people really understand the model? You see what I mean? Those are the really more intense, more in-depth questions that I think we we fail to, to really address. I've had people approach me and say that his model was a failed model, that his model, you know, didn't work, that after it was all said and done, his model of, let's just call it, uh, well, let's call it desegregation, right? His model of desegregation uh, did not work for us today. So I think that's a that's a valid question, and I, I think we have enough people in the house to address that question. I think, yeah, I want to hear what young guy got to say. I think the reason people say might say that it's a nightmare is post his death, the model that he left behind mm -hmm. was abandoned by even the guys he worked with. And also, when you look at the statistics that the black economy was better before he died, mm -hmm. our school system for black kids, it wasn't perfect back then, but it was better. Mm -hmm. We were more educated. Mass incarceration didn't come. The drug problem didn't come. A lot of things came post his death. So the model might have been good, but I think whoever was supposed to pick up where he left off mm -hmm. didn't do it. Which is why people say it's a nightmare. So, so Larry, you uh, you talked about his model being the best model. Uh, you have some folks with the Nation of Islam who probably disagree with you in what took place with the Million Man March. Could you address that? Yeah, I, I think uh, that it, I think you're exactly right, uh, Brother Mac, uh, from the standpoint that yeah, I think we really need to be clear. Uh, the model worked. However, the next generation, the next layer of leaders, the next people who came after him did not uh, continue in the vein that he uh, continued in. He had an economic model. He had a social model. He had a political model. He had a spiritual model. He was active on every domain in society. He had an organization uh, and an agenda, and he had gained more advancement than anybody. So uh, I think what happened, I mean, to just to sum it up, I mean, we can, we, there's a lot of things that happened. I think what happened is we got lax. And so, I mean, again, uh, I would say it would be my generation. Uh, my gen, when I was, when I was, uh, when he was in his heyday, I was a teenager when he was in his heyday. So, I mean, uh, uh, it was up to uh, my generation to follow behind and keep those things going, join those organizations, whatever. Now the system is invested in and has been invested in crystallizing those organizations. What I mean by that is what the system did was gave all these leaders jobs. They all became senators, mm -hmm. congressmen, mayors, governors, whatever. You see what I mean? They all were crystallized. So the movement, in other words, once I put you in employment, and once you are gainfully engaged in uh, society's systems, you are no longer in a, involved in the movement. You can't be the senator from Illinois and be the leader of SNCC. It is, you can't do both. So either you have to uh, stick with the movement, but what we saw was that in order to be these senators, congressmen, and this and that and the other, that we became CEOs, whatever, we saw that as advancement, and we gave up the movement. 
And then as we gave up the movement, we saw that the same kinds of things that were going on post King, the things that he fought for, continued on. And we definitely see it today. Today was out without a shadow of a doubt, those same kinds of things that were going on. So I would say my generation dropped the ball. The generation after that dropped the ball. There's a whole lot of ball dropping going on today uh, with the millennials and uh, the those before those, uh, the baby boomers and everybody. So when you sum it all up, who did, who did not drop the ball? What's happening right now today, though, however, is there are some people who are attempting to pick the ball up, and 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 whether you know, like folks out there in, in, in Cyberland don't want to hear this, but a lot of people that's picking the ball up are women. They're black women that's picking the ball up. You saw that that's that's putting that neck out on the line. That's out here doing things on a radical situation. It's black women. Where are the brothers at? So you, you mentioned any other organization? Where are they at on a national scene, having national impact? Uh, for uh, black and brown community. Wow, I'm gonna touch on that, but um, you know, it just seems like they always try to divide the black and brown community, mm-hmm. pitting the men against the women, young against the old, um, napping head against the straight hair. The fact, the fact, the fact of the matter is, there's a lot of men out here doing the work, but never get the credit that they rightfully so. Um, the Black Panther movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did a lot of the things that you you're talking about, yes. but yet they never talk about the impact that the Black Panthers had and the movement that they had. Why is that? I think uh, you know when we talk about the Black Panthers, we don't think of WIC. We don't think about the one of the most key instrumental things that they implemented uh, to help the community. And what a lot of people don't realize is that when I say help the community, there was different races and ethnicities uh, that was in. Uh, those communities. And um, I, I just wanted to touch bases as far as the Nation of Islam, that last question that you have asked. I mean, uh, Farrakhan, he was, you know, he worked with Martin Luther King behind closed doors because when Martin Luther King came back from Africa, he realized that there was a bigger picture to the movement in regards to integration. That's why he spoke about uh, getting the land back in some of his videos toward the last two years of his life. And um, as you know, you know, he he thought about um, the I have a dream speech. He said that he felt that he might have led his people to a burning house. I think that was in regards to him having uh, thoughts um, of saying, you know what, I think that we kind of took this too far and we should really focus on our community. Mm. And um, in regards to what we were just talking about, I mean, you know, Martin Luther King, he always felt that um, that the church plays a vital role in the community. So just like the mosque or the synagogue and different other faiths, he felt that they, those roles were important in the community, in the society. Um, do I believe that he may have had a, a change of heart on the direction of those uh, facilities, those organizations, I, I believe so. I believe he did. Um, but in regards to the black male stepping up, there is black men stepping up, and I, I will say that the black women are stepping up yeah, um, in, in great numbers, and they're doing it faster than we are. But I, I also say that look at the incarceration rate. Look at how many of the black men are incarcerated, and then the ones that do get out of incarceration they tend to go back into the life that they know best. 
That's why Martin Luther King, he was also trying to promote some sort of uh, uh, conflict resolution type of skills in regards to communicating amongst each other because he understood that it's going to take a nation to win, not a divided nation. Mm -hmm. and, you know, so uh, I just wanted to get back to that there. Yeah, I think, uh, I think speaking to what you said about being divided, I mean, just to speak on one issue doesn't take away from another issue. Certainly there are men who are stepping up. Certainly there are organizations who are stepping up. Uh, but we have to acknowledge the fact that uh, at this point in time, women are taking a preeminent uh, place in our society. That's not, um, that ain't, that's not magic. They must be doing it on purpose in order for it to be happening. So in order for us to do the same thing on a local level, on a national level, we have to do the same thing uh, in a greater degree. Again, that's not to say that nobody is doing anything, because obviously that would not be true. Now, let's get still with the whole burning building thing uh, that you brought up. I mean, uh, the building, we're in the building. Yes. It's not, it's, not a, it's not an option. We're in the building. So uh, for us to be in a country and not have the right to get loans, get mortgages, get houses, get GI Bill, get land, get recreation, get the vote, get to live where we want to live, get access to schools. For us to be in a nation, let's, let's just keep it real, to be in a nation that we built, you see what I mean? The nation that our blood, sweat, and tears have laid a foundation for this nation to be one of the most prosperous nations in the history of the world. That was done on our backs. If it wasn't for free labor, okay, of enslaved people, that never could have happened. Never would have happened. It was impossible for it to happen. So we in this mofo building. It ain't, it ain't no, it ain't, it's not like it's a it's a choice whether or not I'm gonna lead you in or lead you out. That we take metaphors and don't get real for what it really means. We live in this mofo. Yeah. Okay, we own, we in America. So I don't want to be in no country, nowhere, where somebody has a law that says I have less rights than another man that lives in the land and I built the land. And my people go, no, there should be no law. And that's the difference. That's the difference between integration and desegregation. Desegregation says we coming against every law that prevents us from having what any other man has. No, no, I'm not three-fifths. I'm not a half. I'm a whole man. That's that's desegregation. That's whatever law that says I'm less than or get less than, I'm coming against that. Integration is voluntary. Integration is, okay, now there ain't no laws, and now I want to be all up on you. You see what I mean? Now there's no law that prevents me from being up on you. I want to live next to you. I want to go to your school. You see what I mean? I, uh, I primarily, we ought to be concerned with the laws, right? That the laws were equal. But what we did on a volunteer basis, where we choose to live, where we choose to see what I mean, mm -hmm. go to church at, where we choose to go to school at, where we choose to uh, uh, send our kids, was all up to us. So because we got those rights and we went buck wild with it, you see what I mean? We went to all the state schools, you see what I mean? We went, we, we did all that. That doesn't mean the concept was faulty. That means that the things, the, 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 the nightmare, pardon me, my, 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 this metaphor, but the nightmare, if there was a nightmare, the nightmare, part of the nightmare was internal. That means that the part of the nightmare was within us. Dr. Michael Napoli. 
And so we talking about simplicity. So when a lot of our people came out of oppression, um, you know, 400 years ago, um, and I want to give you know recognition of the 1619 to 2019. 1619 is when the actual first African American was sold on the the, uh, the podium. Um, that was the first year. So it's been 400 years to this day. Um, we, we we fell into simplicity when we came out of the plantations. We felt like we didn't know how to be um, to be productive, even though we've been taking care of people all our lives for this 400 years. We didn't realize that how to take care of ourselves. So a lot of us stayed on the plantation, and so a lot of people. You talk about that burning house. It is a metaphor because the burning house is society today's society that climate. And it's letting you know that um, in order to be successful, you got to think out the box. You may have to even go to another place and, and reorganize yourselves um, to get your identity back, your self-worth back, because um, that's one of the key things that goes against violence against our, our fellow brother and sister. We don't value each other. Maybe we should start seeing Christ in each other because that's a value. That's a valuable trait. And, it, and you know, when... Martin Luther King, what he was trying to do, he was trying to make people, uh, make us see value within ourselves, even as a people and a society. So yes, the nation, the house, a lot of people can go into a house from different other nations and they, some people pray, some people talk and conversate. Well, for us, we went in the house and we forgot our keys. We forgot how to maintain that house. We forgot how to change, check the air filter, the basic fundamentals, fundamental skills on how to be, um, to take care of a home. We forgot. And we was told that the temple's inside of us and it resides in, in us. So how could we not be able to um, have our hospitality skills, um, how could we have them hospitality skills destroyed? You know, I mean, it took a lot of um, strategic planning on different parts. I, I don't blame just us. I think when you talk about desegregation, I think when you talk about leaving people in a burning house, I think what he meant by that is people didn't get the meaning of it. They didn't understand what was going on. A lot of people just went in blindly. Yeah. I was like, okay, I, I could be around white people now. Mm -hmm. Instead of being okay, I could be around them, but I could also keep my identity as right. a black man and woman in America. And a lot of people went the other way. It's like, you know, I just want to move to the suburbs to have my kids around all these white people instead of just really being like, okay, we could be around them or we could be accepted or whatever, but I also want to stay with my people. And that's not the case anymore. A lot of people want to go, they want to get out the hood. It's not too many people that want to live in the hood these days. Like, like I want to go out west, I want to go here, I want to move to the suburbs. I not know, I want to reinvest into my neighborhood where I grew up. I think you're 100% right on that. I think, too, uh, just going back to all, all the other organizations. I mean, just from my time in studying the concepts of King, I think it's really, really important that we understand that he was coming at it from a lot of different directions. And again, people want to put him in one box. They want to put him in a religious box. They want to put him in a political box. They want to put him in a whatever box. But if you look, if you study the philosophy of this man, he wasn't in no box. He wasn't in no box. This dude was talking about dignity and value of yourself as being black and all of your features and all of your 
everything pertains to you. He was talking about that in the 60s. Like that's 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 revolutionary when you think about uh wasn't people wasn't talking about that uh that deep back then, but that was one of the concepts that he came out of. And I think the other thing that we look at it today, yes, I think us understanding that there's a value to different organizations. For instance, the nation of, of Islam, right? Uh, the, the nation, so to speak, that no one can knock the fact that uh, that organization has had major impact on incarceration and uh, people transforming their lives that have been in some very dire situations. Uh, that nation uh, has focused specifically on elevating, uh, reprogramming, and transforming the minds and the lifestyle all the way from dietary to, as you mentioned, values as to how you, how you treat your women, uh, how you conduct yourself, how you carry yourself, uh, how you align yourself with other uh, black people. So they have been major in that aspect of our culture. So it can't be denied, but that's that's one aspect. There, there still is a political aspect. There still is a social aspect. There still is activism act. You see what I mean? And so what we what what one of the things that King was good. That's why I say his model was was it cannot be touched. Uh, one of the things that he did when you look at it, he uh, brought all these organizations together. He dealt with them all. He dealt with them all. He sat down with. Uh, uh, Nation of Islam. He sat down with uh, Malcolm. He sat down. He sat down with everybody. It wasn't like, oh, I'm the best. Huh? It was at odds with each Yeah, they did. They did have. I mean, that's 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 one thing. That's 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 again. That's a nightmare within. That's the same thing going on with us today. Go ahead, sorry. That was behind, like in front. People thought that behind closed doors. Yeah, more Malcolm visited Coretta. When Martin was in jail, he told her. I'm gonna be the one that's gonna be in their face, and I need Martin to be the one that's gonna be on the other side. Of right. So, but, but the point I'm making with that is, brother, is that his the concept he had believed in that, and that's a concept that we that we struggle with today. If, if, and so, in other words, if you're not in my silo, I really don't want to. I don't really want to deal with you. So you. So we have. Uh, say, for instance, the, the black church, for instance, that's got a silo. So I don't know what we're going to deal with you is you come over here and join our black churches. Or the nation has a silo. Or activism. See, everybody, if everybody's got a silo and, and you don't want to come together to work together for common good, then that's a trap. I'm, what I'm saying, his model dealt with that. The reason why we know that that's the case is we got photographs. Video, we got the, the, the documentation, the receipts are there. These people talk to each other. They they affiliated with each other and they didn't know no, there's always gonna be conflict. It'll never not be conflict. But when you look at his philosophy, his philosophy says bring them all together. I mean, there are people that came at him, they took shots at him, blah, blah, blah. You ain't this, you're not moving fast enough. You follow me, we want to do some violence, let's burn some stuff down. We ain't trying to hear what you got to say. So there's people that came at him, but you check out what he did, he never came back. He didn't come back and say, you young folks ain't about nothing. You follow what I mean? And all the people that's talking about me, y'all ain't about nothing either. You let somebody talk about one of us up in here today and see what we do. We'd be right on Facebook. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's up, you know? So, but I'm saying his concept was beyond that. And he didn't move off of that. 
until the day he died, he did not move on that. Everybody can get back now and say, oh, that was wonderful. That was all great. But it wasn't all wonderful and great when you were in that position and people taking shots at you. You know, 70% plus of the churches that he went to, they wouldn't even let him in to speak. People don't know that. It wasn't like 86% of America did, was not down with him when he was in, in full day. But now yeah. he's the little guy on the, the poster about his ring. Well, I mean, it was, it was about Vietnam. It was about reparations. It was about economics. Them dudes used to show up and shut down grocery stores. Shut them down. Does nobody buy from this grocery store again until they hire our people? Who, who's, who's, who's doing that? He, he, the dude got to the place where he said, we're going to get our own bank. Did he not? Did he did or did he not? We're going to get our own bank. And I suggested all people, black people directly, he said this on the airways mm -hmm. in the 60s. I would suggest that all black people put their money in, in, in a black bank. Different time. Um, we know that's, that's the right way, per se. But um, there's a lot of black people. Who won't march? Mm -hmm. Who won't speak out? Mm -hmm. Because they have assimilated in what it takes to be a rich, important person that they they can't go and defend certain issues. They can't go talk about certain things. So how do we get to that point where you say bring everybody together? Because you can't bring everybody together. Right. Are, are you talking about political correctness? No, I'm talking. About, we was talking about. Larry mentioned Dr. King. Yeah. How he had the ability to be able to bring all sectors to the table. Okay. Do you see that happening now? I think there's a way. I think there's definitely a way for it to happen now. I think that the way for it to happen now is not to have the expectation that everybody needs to do everything. That everybody don't need to do everything. Is is I need to respect what somebody is doing uh, and the lane that they're in. And there's people who are in positions where maybe they cannot. Uh, put themselves in a position to go and march with this, that, and the other because of whatever. But but can they, do they have the ability to put together documentation that can be put before the courts? Uh, do they have the ability to write and, and do the kinds of things that cause us to gain income? If they, if they can do other things, then they still bring value. It's not like everybody's got to be doing the exact same thing. If, if people need to do what they... People, one of the things that he said, again, I said one of the things that he mentioned, I'm going to give you three or four before we leave tonight. But one was the whole idea of uh, he dealt with everybody. It, it, people didn't necessarily always deal with him, but he was willing to deal with everybody. I think we saw a little bit of that locally just this year with Kwanzaa. When we had a different groups of people who came together, right or wrong, who came together from different organizations and uh, plan some events in the city across different organizations. And that was one of the things that was uh, one of our objectives was to be able to do that, right? So he, uh, he, he dealt with everybody. And what was the other thing I was thinking about? Uh, and I just lost that thought. That took a, took a uh, little, <laughs> little trip down somewhere else. Like, I'll, I'll, but, I'll come back to me. But I still think that's political correctness because you got people doing things for a paycheck. And if you don't, if you don't fall into that uh, realm, and you don't do what they say, they can take that paycheck from you, and you will be left out in the cold. You will be ended, ending up being part of the population that you that you once served. And so, uh, with that being said, you know uh, there was individuals that uh, came together, 
and they wanted to uh, form a, a united front. You know, I mean, in regards to like the NAACP, um, you know, you had the Church uh, Federation. I forgot what the, the name of that union was. Um, but there was individuals that came together for saying, you know what, the United States government is willing to give us this money as long as we do this. <laughs> Always pay the tax. And, and, and it just, just like today, people get employed in certain positions and they're not able to speak on certain things. You know, like, case, yeah, you know, um, I mean, for instance, you know, I'm one of the commissioners for Omaha Housing Authority. I want to bring that up. And uh, one of the things that there are certain things that we can't uh, speak on because we're still in the discussion stage of those situations. But what I can say is that as far as the civil rights movement, you have people uh, kind of selling out each other. I mean, you know, you have uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson. I mean, you know, you had uh, Al Sharpton. These are individuals that some say even knew what happened to Martin Luther King. And they didn't come out. And a lot of those people said, I was tired. Threw their hands up and said, you know what? Uh, integration sounds great. Um, equality sounds great. I, I, I think that we should go for that. But like I said, you know, uh, it creates an environment of simplicity because you get comfortable with it. Um, you know, uh, there's a saying that says that um, oppression can make a, a wise man mad. And so... What you see today is you see the remnants, or you see what came from that. Um, the homeless population um, is very high right now. You know, incarceration is very high right now. Poverty. Uh, some of the streets that's named after Martin Luther King are so decimated <laughs> that when you go there, you're like, I can't believe that this street was named after Martin Luther King. So we have to deal in the reality of things. I mean, even in, in Georgia. You go there and look at Martin Luther King Act, man, I'm telling you, there, there's so many shootings on those streets. We're not being respectful and we're not being accountable or responsible for the actions that we do as a people. And so, like I said, was Martin Luther King voicing that uh, as black people, we need to get our stuff together? Yes. Did he say that we can work with other people because there are other good people out in, the, in society? Yes. So we gotta, we, we're dispelling myths, we're talking facts, and we're bringing truth to power. That's the important um, fuel uh, to move forward in the future. Of course, real question that, uh, Nate, what was, what was one defining moment in your, you guys' life that connected you to the work and Dr. King's legacy and what he stood for? Okay, that's a good question. Uh, uh, I'll uh, speak to that. I, 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 my thought came back to me as far as uh, the, the couple of things that I think he stood for. I think he stood for uh, raising the dignity of black people, in other words, uh, black and beautiful, and understanding our uh, history and understanding who we are and being proud of it. I think that's one. I think uh, being able to deal with people and, and different walks of life uh races different races and different organizations i think that was one of another one of his valuable um, uh, model part of his model that was uh really good and i think that uh his whole tendency to avoid getting caught up in the negativity in terms of you know uh, firing back on people and those kinds of things i think uh, those were some things that his model had 
those were at least three things that his model had that um, made it made it powerful and made it up until this point uh, unmeasurable. I don't, no one has been able to touch his model, from my opinion, yet. And we can again, we 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 got a minute or two left, so we can debate that. But those are at least three, and I think there's more. But to speak to your question, for me, the defining moment was when I got to a place where I believed that it was necessary for me to have a transformation in my life. I believed that. Uh, the lifestyle that I was on, uh, the path that I was on in terms of, of, of you know, the, the party, uh, self-gratification uh, track and path. Uh, I think it would be nice to say that all of our four parents uh, were about uh, the advancement of people. But we have to admit there were some generations of people who were not about the advancement of people. And they... They gave birth to some of us. So there were some people who were all about uh, Garvey and Du Bois and uh, all Malcolm and this and that. And they led their families like that. And they gave birth to people who came up like that. Then there are other uh, of us who came up partying. We came up partying, looking good, Saturday night, Friday night. Uh, let's get it on. Let's get down. Uh, you know, all that. That's what we came out of. That's the households we came out of. Wasn't about no agenda. It wasn't about no advancement. It wasn't about any of that. I mean, I have to give credit to my father from the standpoint that he, if he walked into a restaurant and he didn't see no uh, black people working there, he turned around and walked out. He always scanned uh, any place where he put his money to determine if they were supporting black people. And so that was something that I saw coming up under him that I remember. But in, in general, uh, I was not introduced to the cause through my forefathers. You see what I mean? It was not there. So when I came to the point of my own transformation and I saw that through spirituality, new birth, born again, the church, the black church, when I went there and that was the atmosphere that was uh, a part of what activated a transformation within me. And I became a leader within that uh, organization, the black church. I became a minister, I became ordained. I, I followed that path as a part of what I was about. At that point in my life, there were two things going on. The whole Martin Luther King minister model was dying. So the ministers who became ministers, when I became ministers, it was no longer about activism. It was no longer about social involvement. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was no longer about that. It was just, it was, that's not what we came into. It was more about hooping and uh, preaching and all the, you know, the hoopla related to that. And then ultimately that led into prosperity and about the money. And it was about, became about the buildings and it became about, so I came in right at the time where uh, there was a transition going on within our leadership as to what we were all about, right? And for me, when I came in and I'm finally up out of the gratification of, you know, the world and the street and all that, then I wanted to plug into the King model. I wanted to plug into the uh, activism. See what I mean? I wanted to be about it uh, from that platform, and it was not there. So I found myself slowly getting involved in the platform of, of the church as it was at that time. Once again, at that time, it was about the church. It was about how well you preached. It was about the singing and the shouting and the, those kinds of 
in-house kind of church things, all right, that, uh, you know, people tended to uh, raise their families with good values and good uh, righteousness. People did all that, but in general, what that entity was about changed. And so for me, the Martin Luther King model, when I came in, it, it resonated with me uh, from something that seemed a, uh, a distant past, if that makes sense to you. It was like something I could see, I could read about, but it was no longer evident within my generation. We had moved on, and for lack of better words, we had evolved from all of that, which, if anything, we, we had made our way toward moving to the burning building. Stephen and close. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, also people that uh, that gap in, in regards to movement, I think that gang stepped in and became like a version of a new mm -hmm. civil rights movement type because every underlining um, premise as far as gangs was to beat the man. Um, mm -hmm. You're going to beat the man, but at the same time, we're going to stake claim in our areas. We're going to stake claim in our colors and what we believe in. We're going to create our own set of rules and guidelines because the man got his guidelines and rules. And we've been following that since forever. So mm -hmm. that was the premise underneath. That's why a lot of people say civil rights movements, you know, as they uh, dis dispensed. Dispensed. Yeah. As they moved on, uh, they formed into games. I mean, like you got SNCC, you know, the Black Panther movement, the Brown, Brown Berets. You got all those guys that end up turning into Serenio 13s. You got them turning into Lomas and Cellos and Vice Lords and P-Stones mm -hmm. and um, Gangster Disciples. You got all those that metamorphosis happened. And what, what really played a devastating part was get, uh, drugs, alcohol, and guns. Mm -hmm. And then money came later because the reason why I said money came later because everybody was beefing off a of turf war and people was like you said earlier Larry that if somebody talks about um, someone on here we're ready to fight we're ready to buff up but then when it comes to the man we don't do anything we just mm. sit back and relax and we say oh you know what uh, they're rolling and they're ruling the system so we're gonna roll with it we gotta change that thought process that's why we that's a form of relapse thinking because every time that you fall into that that type of mind frame, you're only going to think of money over everything, you know. And because now you know that money can can get you things, you know. But um, as far as Martin Luther King being uh, an instrumental part of my life, I, I switched gears. Um, I got to really think about when I was about 13 years old. Um, there were some things going on. Uh, I believe it was a school play. And they asked me to be Martin Luther King, you know, in the school play. And I was like, man, I want to be this dude. You know, because uh, he done done for us. Now, that's the, that's the type of mind frame that I was in. Because I didn't really have anybody to educate me in that type of way of life. They were always educating me into the game life or the pimp. Do you want to be a hustler? You want to be, a, you know, you, the street life. And so nobody really educated me on that. My mom taught me, uh, told me a few things, but um, I had to learn from myself. And once I realized the things that Martin Luther King did to try to help um, help people in, uh, in our society, 
it, it, you know, I felt that um, I got to change my outlook on life. You know, everybody's not evil. Everybody's not out to get you. And I started trying to look at the good goodness within other individuals. It did take me a while. It took me all the way until I was probably about 20, about 25. Because from that point, I was like, well, that goodness is not getting me money. And I need to take care of myself and I need to take care of my family. You know, I was a new father uh, at the age of 21, um, trying to break ground and break bread, uh, you know, to support my, my, my family. And so later on, like I said, when I got a little bit older, I realized, like, hey, you know what? I really got to reevaluate how I'm, I'm perceiving life. And there's more to it than, uh, than uh, that street life, that street way of, way of life. So that's it. Right. Um, <laughs> it's hard for me to say what the final moment King had in my life. Because I think as a kid, I grew up on a lot. And it was, it, it just wasn't realistic for anybody growing up in my situation. It was just go this straight way, do all you can, and be righteous. And and I don't know how to say it, but I but I didn't connect with King growing up. Like I mm -hmm. connected more with my, my never mm -hmm. honestly. Like I wrote pa papers on King in elementary and stuff, but I never connected with him. I always connected with Malcolm. That's not not King, mm -hmm. but I didn't connect. Like, I, my grandma would push me to go to church, and I didn't connect with that because I look at it and like, why am I here? Like, nobody's doing nothing. Like, we're mm -hmm. just praying. Yeah. And we're still poor. Why are we giving money? Why are you giving your last $5 and we're about to go back home and starve? Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't understand. I didn't connect with King, and I just always saw the church and King as one until, mm -hmm. I, until I became older. Um, to say a defining moment, uh, I guess I. Once I became older and I started like doing my own research, I began to connect with him more. And I saw those speeches where he said, I, like, just saying I'm black and I'm proud. I never saw that. You, you don't see that. Don't see no. You don't even see that in the black household. No. You don't see those speeches. So I think just, I don't know. Like, I, I can't say like it's a defining moment. It's just, just me growing up and using my own time to, just research who it really was is what changed my mind on it. But I didn't connect with him coming up. Yeah. Um, that, for me, Dr. King was, he was a great leader. Mm -hmm. But I didn't believe in the concept that if you slap me, you turn my other cheek. Mm -hmm. Never built in the concept. Mm -hmm. I believe if you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. Mm -hmm. so, so, and that's what divides a lot of this community. They believe it's one set way that you're supposed to be. And that's maybe Dr. King's way. Mm -hmm. That you're supposed to forgive and look, oh, you know, that's that's great. Uh, and everybody who can do that, more power to you. But but at the end of the day, for me, you hit me, I'm gonna hit you back. Period. Point blank. You know, because I believe that if if you let somebody slap you on a Monday and you don't do nothing about it, what's gonna happen on a Tuesday? You'll slap you. On a Wednesday, or Thursday, and Friday. Sometimes, man, it's okay to fight back. Mm -hmm. Sometimes. Without a doubt. Yeah. But I think if, if you're if uh, if you're looking at it on a personal level, this uh, to me. On have a personal level. level? I mean, just yeah. I mean, on a personal. I mean, from a, if somebody slapped me, that's personal. That's what I'm okay. all I mean. Okay. So if somebody slapped me, I'm gonna slap them back. If I'm looking at it on that level, I'm slapping you back if you slap me. 
If you hit me, I'm hitting you back. It really don't have that. But when we're talking about King, we're not talking about that. We're talking about what are the concepts that we employ in society to get ahead. And if we're employing uh, burning stuff down and shooting and killing people. Hey, what and, I, said. I didn't say you said that. I didn't say you said that. I'm, just, I'm clarifying the concept. I'm not saying you said anything. Mm-hmm. I'm saying the concept of nonviolence is a social active I know. concept. It's not, a, it's not a personal hit me, I hit you kind of thing, which obviously I think the, the average person, if you hit them, they're going to hit you back. Even if they want to pretend like they they so holy and and and, and whatever, but I, the concept of nonviolence, I think, is a the point I'm making. The concept of nonviolence as a social construct, I don't think anybody has come along with any other uh, construct related to violence and social activism to match it. So if if you if you know of any, I certainly I think we should talk about it. I have a show to mention it one day and talk about what that is. But the Panthers wasn't a, wasn't uh, 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 violent in society. They wasn't going out killing people and shooting people and stabbing people or any that. Nation ain't doing that. So to me, it's a tool. Nonviolence is a tool that was effective. And so I think too. Also, the thing that is that was. Uh, interesting from the concept you made, it was never really, the problem we have is never really about an individual. It's never really about, it wasn't about King as an individual, it ain't really about Malcolm as an individual, it's about what their philosophy and their model was and whether or not it was effective or not, you see what I mean? Or a combination of the two. And to me, we get caught up in that too. We get caught up in personalities and whatnot. And the reason why people uh, uh, have all these different concepts of the man is because they never really studied the man. They never studied the model. They never studied the, they never studied the background of it enough to be able to say, all they can talk about is him as an individual, and maybe the I have a dream speech. That's about as far as they get. But what he had to say about reparations, what he had to say about spirituality, what he had to say about capitalism and socialism, you see what I mean? He went deep. On all them concepts, he, he went deep on all them concepts, and in society, don't want to address that. As a, as and a everybody wouldn't agree with you on that. And I think the bad part about what you just said is who's teaching that? <laughs> Our kids ain't seeing that. I didn't, yeah, I didn't see a lot of this stuff until I became, I got to college. Like I didn't understand King until I got to college. I was sold on that. I have a dream. Exactly. And I think the reason the nonviolent thing took a hit is because the way he died. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, we're going to be nonviolent. He's still going to kill us. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, that, that's, the, that's the issue. But then when you look at the way Malcolm died, it's the same thing. Violence still going. So it's, I, I think, I don't, I don't know the solution. Like, if it's nonviolence work, then by any means necessary work to it to a certain degree. Natural. And it's, it, all of it worked to a certain degree. I just don't think we found the, the, the one thing that can get us to work. Because I don't see our people reaching the mountaintop yet. I don't think we reached it yet. We're still we're still climbing it. Yeah, because we have defined what the mountaintop is. Yeah, like you know what I mean. It's still it's still uh, philosophical. <laughs> it's still mythical. It's still magical. You follow me? We we can't reach the mountaintop if we don't. If we really never define what the mountaintop. Well, I think the, the issue with that is. Our lack of real central identity, like we all don't 
come to one standing or one thing. Yeah. Like, right. everybody is seen as something else. I'm this, I'm that, I'm yeah. that. It's not I'm This is the right way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is the right way. Right. You know, and it's, 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 it's more than one way to, to get to point A. And just because you don't agree with some of, some of the things that different groups or organizations do don't mean it's the wrong way to do it. And um, I think our biggest challenge is, is us as a people. How do we come to common ground? How do we move as one? That's a big challenge. Um, and hopefully one day we'll get there. We have a key to our own freedom. And our freedom is us. Nobody has money. Uh, not going to get us out of this. Uh, politicians not going to get us out of this. The government's not going to get us out of this. We have our freedom, us. We have to be the one to do it. And so uh, I'll leave you with that. Uh, I just wanted to point out a, a, a couple facts about uh, Martin Luther King. His birth name was Michael King Jr. He was born on January 15, 1929. Uh, later on, he changed his name to Martin Luther King. As a result, he also came, uh, changed his son's name to Martin Luther as well. Um, as you know, he entered college at the age of 15. Uh, you know, he went to Morehouse College. He was a alum mater uh, of his father, a maternal grandfather, um, at that same college. Um, he went and got his doctorate in systematic theology, theology, uh, theology, and then. Um, he says also, I, King's I Have a Dream speech was not dispersed at the Lincoln Memorial. It says six years before his iconic oration uh, at the March on Washington, King was among the civil rights leaders who spoke in the shadows of the great emancipator during the prayer pilgrimage for the freedom of May, uh, May 17, 1957. Uh, King narrowly escaped an assassination attempt the decade before uh, from Stabbing. a woman uh, yeah, that stabbed him. Uh, and also, uh, King's last public speech foretold his death. A lot of people uh, at the Mason Temple Church, it says, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And um, I just, you know, I wanted to touch bases on a couple of things about Martin Luther King. There's things that we don't know. And it's good to research and educate yourselves about individuals. Don't, don't feel ashamed. Even if you mess up, you know, uh, don't feel ashamed. You know, reach out, think about uh, what these individuals did and uh, for our society and how they play a pivotal part in your life. And uh, one of my thoughts. Uh, I just think in closing, it's just we all got a lot of work to do. And we all just gotta keep working and keep working hard and just stay on our mission. I think that's how we fulfill the stream is understanding that we haven't fulfilled it and we got a lot more to do than just like this. Larry? I just want to say that uh, one of the final points I think uh, he uh, emphasized the point meaning being that we must remain, everybody's got to be engaged. 
So on whatever level you engaged in, uh, you still got to be engaged. And I think that's one of the things that causes difficulty is that we drop out of engagement at, at some point. And we just, you know, we just eat the apple, what do you call it, the American pie? We eat American pie and, and, and you know, sucking on the ice cream cone and no longer feel that it was necessary for us to be engaged. I think that in reality, as black people in America, we're going to have to be engaged for the rest of our lives. And then we have to pretty much uh, pass that mantle on to our children. The same thing. You, it, it's it's uh, you don't have the option to not be engaged. And so I think he emphasized that. And uh, if people if people went with that, um, that would be the best that we could do. If everybody was engaged on some level, doing something, whatever it was that they could do, then we, as a people, that would be the best that we could do. You know, can you get to the promised land? All right, then, man. We want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, Real Talk uh, with uh, Larry Duncan, Mr. Steve Abraham, Mr. Terrell McKinney. We have a peace.